Hey you guys, welcome to the Warriorette Style Anchorage of Recovery Podcast. Alright you guys, we are prayer. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help with thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always one day at a time. Alright, scripture... Matthew 18. The Father's love. About that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And anyone who becomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. But if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. What sorrow awaits the world because it tempts people to sin. Temptations are inevitable, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? So if if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand or one foot than to be thrown into an eternal fire with both of your hands and feet. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Beware that you don't look down on any of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels are always in the presence of my heavenly Father. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the ninety-nine others on the hills and go out to search for the one that is lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than over the ninety-nine and didn't wander away. In the same way, it is not my Heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won the person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again, so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church Then, if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. I also tell you this, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as many followers, I am there among them. Then Peter came to him and asked, 
Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but seventy-seven times. Seven times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of the debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, Please be patient with me, and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave him his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me, and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He he had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. What I got out of that is I've had a lot of brothers and sisters who I'm claiming that my it's my brothers and sisters that has done me wrong and that I've done wrong. So therefore, no, everything's equal and really you can't do any wrong. Nothing is more, costs more than anything else. It's all equal. So we all do wrong. So forgive each other and live to the fullest because... Really, you guys, we don't know what happens tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen to our fellow brother or sister. And, I mean, even though if you feel like you've lost all respect for them and you you know that they've done the dirtiest of the dirty, the, the knit to the freaking greedy, man, you know, I have just recently forgave a lot of people and had to ask for forgiveness for myself because, I mean, when you're out there and you're in sin and you're out there and you're you're indulging all these drugs, you have no idea what you're doing. I mean, come on. You really don't until God reveals it to you. And then when he reveals it to you, you're like, there's no way I would do something like that. And then you have to look back and say, well, I would. I said I'd never forgive this person. But if I can forgive myself or forgive, or for, you know, or this person forgave me, then there's no reason why you can't forgive somebody else. And do everything you can to win back one of your brothers or sisters' hearts in Christ. So, <clears throat> just do it the correct way. So, alright. 12 and 12 and traditions. 
After we come into AA, if we go on going, growing, our attitudes and actions towards security, emotional security, and financial security commence to change profoundly. Our demand for emotional security for our own way had constantly thrown us into unworkable relations with other people. Though we were sometimes quite unconscious of this, the result always had been the same. Either we had tried to play God and dominate those about us, or we had insisted on being overdependent upon them, where people had temporarily let us run their lives as though they were still children. We had felt very happy and secure ourselves, but when they finally resisted or ran away, we were bitterly hurt and disappointed. We blamed them, being quite unable to see that our unreasonable demands had been the cause. When we had taken the opposite tack and had insisted like infants ourselves that people protect and take care of us or that the world owed us a living, then the result had been equally unfortunate. This often caused the people we had loved most to push us aside or perhaps desert us entirely. Our disillusionment had been hard to bear. We couldn't imagine people acting that way toward us. We had failed to see that through adult in years, we were still behaving childishly, trying to turn everybody friends, wives, husbands, even the world itself, into prospective parents. We had refused to learn the very hard lesson that overdependence upon people is unsuccessful because all people are fallible and even the best of them will sometimes let down especially when our demands for attention become unreasonable as we made spiritual progress we saw through these fallacies it became clear that if we ever were to feel emotionally secure among grown-up people we would have to put our lives on a give-and-take basis we would have to develop the sense of being in partnership or brotherhood with all those around us we saw that we should need to give constantly of ourselves without demands for repayment when we persistently did this we gradually found that people were attracted to us as never before and even if they failed us we could be understanding and not too seriously affected when we developed still more we discovered the best possible source of emotional stability to be god himself we found that dependence upon his his perfect justice forgiveness and love was healthy and that it would work where nothing else would if we really depended upon god we couldn't very well play god to our fellows nor would we feel the urge woefully to rely on human protection and care these were the new attitudes that finally brought many of us an inner strength and peace that could not be deeply shaken by the shortcomings of others or by any com- committee not of our own making this new outlook was we learned something especially necessarily to alcoholics for alcoholism had been a lonely business even though we had been surrounded by people who loved us but when self-will had driven 
everybody away and our isolation had become complete, it caused us to play the big shot in cheap bar rooms and then fare forth alone on the street to depend upon the charity of passerbys. We were still trying to find emotional security by being dominating or dependent upon others. Even when our fortunes had not ebbed that much and we nevertheless found ourselves alone in the world, we still vainly tried to be secure by some unhealthy kind of denomination or dependence. For those of of who were like that, AA had a a very special meaning. Though it began, we began to learn right relationships with people who understand us, we don't have to be alone anymore. Most married folks in AA have very happy homes, to a surprising extent. AA has offset the damage to family life brought up about by years of alcoholism, but just like other societies, we do have sex and marital problems, and sometimes they are distressingly acute permanent marriage breakups and separations however are unusual in aa our main problem is not how we are to stay married it is how to more happily marry by eliminating the severe emotional twists that have so often stemmed from alcoholism nearly every sound human being experiences at some time in life a compelling desire to find a mate of the opposite sex with whom the fullest possible union can be made, spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical. The mighty urge is the root of great human accomplishments, a creative energy that deeply influences our lives. God fashioned us that way, so our question will be this. How, by inert compulsion and self-will, did we misuse this gift for our own destruction? We AAs cannot pretend to offer full answers to age-old perplexities, but our own experience does provide certain answers that work for us. When alcoholism strikes, very unnatural situations may develop, which work against marriage, partnership, and compatible union. All right, we're going to stop there, you guys, on 118. All right, big book style, page 537, a late start. Nevertheless, it was during this period that I was received a major job promotion. I was 49 when my second husband and I were married. Years before, we had dated through high school and two years of college, but then were separated by World War II. Each of us had married elsewhere, divorced, and 30 years later, we met by chance. We had 10 years of laughter, sharing, and wonderment well-laced with martinis and scotch on the rocks. By the time I was 16, anyone wise in the ways of alcoholism would have known I was in for big trouble. Happy plans dissolved into pouts. Arguments began and meals burned. Hurricanes of anger rushed through our happy, our once happy cottage. We agreed we were drinking too much. We tried the switch technique, the time control schedule, the drink only on the weekends, ploy. Nothing worked. Between us, we were badly damaged our budget. My husband lost his job, and then for two harrowing 
years, I watched him die of alcoholism, but I learned nothing from his death, and my drinking escalated as I bottle-fed my sorrow. My early 60s saw me drunk every night and more and more frequently calling in sick for personal leave. Life was pure and unadulterated hell. At work, I was often shakenly so bad that I hesitated to give dictation because I would have to sign the letters. I made every possible excuse to meet someone for a business luncheon so that I could have a drink or two as my alcoholism accelerated by my absenteeism increased and my productivity diminished. I bounced checks, pawned silver, mourned, and I continued my drinking. Alright, you guys. I love y'all. I'm going to stop there. We got a lot of family problems going on. Keep us in your prayers. Um, keep some of my friends in your prayers. And we love y'all. Alright, prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, thou will be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Zion is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I love you guys.